Well, hello, it's great to see you today. So glad that you're here and uh, welcome also to those of you joining us at our campuses and Ada Bible Online. My name's Aaron, if we've never met, and uh, I get to wrap up this series, Navigating Emotions. But uh, before we jump in, I gotta tell you, I'm doing something uh, different today that I've never done from this stage. Uh, normally there's a TV right here. And uh, we just thought, you know, why not use the big TV that's behind me? Because uh, the image will be clearer, the words will be bigger, and so I'm gonna try to do that today. Now, I've never done this, and uh, I feel like every sermon I've ever done, I walk over to the TV and point out scripture. So don't be surprised if you see me going, you know, a little confused and out of place. I mean, no more than usual, but uh, yeah. So um, I wanna tell you also about next week because we're kicking off a new series. So uh, here we go, the big TV behind me, check this out, image. Uh, Daniel, Honor in Exile is the name of this new series. I'm very excited about this series because uh, I've been wanting to spend some time in the book of Daniel uh, for a while now. And I think this is gonna be great for us because here's the deal with uh, what's going on in the book of Daniel. It's like God's people have been conquered by the Babylonians and many of them have been deported to Babylon. And so they're now living in the capital of the Babylonian empire. And it's like, how are they gonna remain faithful to God? How are they gonna honor God in a culture that doesn't care about God? A culture that has different values and different practices and different beliefs. And on top of that, how is God gonna show up and bring honor to his name when his temple has been destroyed? and when his people no longer live in his promised land. And I think this series is gonna be incredibly relevant because I think many of us, just the journey of the last couple of years, look around at our culture and it, it just doesn't feel the same that it did. And many of us are going like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel like home to me anymore. And so how do we follow Jesus in a culture that's becoming less and less friendly to the way of Jesus? So that's honor and exile. We're gonna be tackling that starting next week. It's six weeks long and Pastor Jeff will be with us as we kick that off. Now uh, this weekend, as we wrap up this series, uh, Navigating Emotions, I, I gotta start by, by telling you about something that happened in my house uh, a little while back. It was uh, bedtime at the Buer household, okay? Now how many parents we got, okay? So you understand the challenges of bedtime, okay? And those of you, you're not parents yet, maybe, maybe you're expecting, maybe you're hoping for a family someday, just some friendly advice as you prepare for uh, navigating bedtime with your children, some hostage negotiation skill training would be helpful. So just, you know, just tuck that away. So what was happening on this particular night? So uh, my wife, Katie and I, we, we let our kids have a bedtime snack before bed. And you're like, why would you do that? Because I don't like kids wandering into my bedroom at 3 a.m. because they're hungry. So I give them a snack. Now, uh, this one particular night, one of my sweet little children, what she wanted for her bedtime snack was chocolate. I would like chocolate for my bedtime snack. And it's like, oh, <laughs> that's great. I, I love chocolate too, but we, we can't have chocolate right before bed. We need to have a healthy snack. And uh, she said, but I want chocolate. And she stood her ground and she wanted chocolate and she wanted it a lot. Now, uh, I am not above saying, listen, just get some chocolate. Don't tell your mom and just go to bed, okay? <laughs> and don't you judge me because I have five children. You don't know what it's like, okay? <laughs> 
But on this particular night, I was, I was the mature father, and so I was holding my ground. You can't, sorry, you cannot have chocolate before you go to bed. I want chocolate! And so back and forth it went, and finally she got the message. She wasn't going to get chocolate, so she said, when I grow up, you're going to go to bed early, and I'm going to have chocolate whenever I want. <laughs> and I was thinking, she's probably right. Because the older I get, the earlier and earlier I go to bed. And with that kind of fire in this kid's uh, belly, I mean, she's, she's going to have chocolate whenever she wants. That's pretty clear. So she wanted chocolate, and she wanted it really badly. And so uh, what I want to talk about today is, well, the things that we want and the desires that we have, the attractions that we experience. What are we supposed to do with these? And I think this is an important question right now because so many of the voices in our culture right now are saying, look, if you have a desire, if there's something that you feel, you need to pursue that. Because actually, if you deny that, you're really harming your true self. And if you don't chase after that desire, you're, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be fulfilled. I mean, essentially, the message is you are what you desire. And the question is, is that true? Is that helpful advice? Is that how we should live our lives? What do we do with the things that we want and the things that we desire? Now, we're going to be spending our time with a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to first-generation believers. So back in the first century, we, we have brand-new believers living in the Roman Empire, and Paul writes them a letter. And uh, I want to show you a map. Uh, this is the province of Galatia. So think of it as like a state in the Roman Empire. And you'll notice uh, a few cities there. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, if you've read the book of Acts, some of these city names will be familiar because Paul visited them. He helped start Jesus communities in some of these cities. And now Paul is writing a letter to believers that are in these cities. And uh, one of the things that he talks about in this letter of Galatians is desire and the things that we want. Because in the Roman culture, it's very similar to our culture, actually, in the sense that if you feel something, go after that thing. You, you should satisfy your appetites. And so you have these first-generation believers, meaning like their parents were not Jesus followers. They're figuring this thing out for themselves, and they're trying to sort of extract themselves from Roman culture, Roman belief, Roman practices, and adopt and embrace the way of Jesus. And they're struggling, particularly with their desires and with their wants and with their attractions. And so Paul writes to bring some clarity. And so let me just kind of give you a, a, sna a snippet of what he's going to say to these people. One of the things he says to them is, you are not to do whatever you want. He says to them, look, don't, don't, just, don't just do whatever you want. That's a bad idea. If you feel it, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should chase after it. And the thing that's challenging about this is every single one of us, we want to do what we want to do. And Paul's going, no, 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 don't, don't do that. It, it's not a good way to live. So who's right? 
I mean, are we supposed to chase after our desires? Are we supposed to say no to our desires? How do we interpret our desires? What are we supposed to do with the things that we want? These are important questions, and this is not just a philosophical debate, is it? Because there's things that you want right now. There are desires that you have in this moment. And so let me ask you an important question. What do you want? I mean, really. What is it that you want right now? And if we were to have a conversation, I mean, if we went out for coffee and we just sat down and just, okay, real talk, what do you want right now? What would you say? Maybe you'd say, I, I just want my kids to succeed. I, I want my marriage to work. I want a different house, <laughs> better space, more space, different neighborhood. I, I want a different home. I want a relationship. I'm just, I'm just tired of being alone. I want my work to be noticed and appreciated. I want adventure. I'm just, I'm, I'm bored right now with life. I, I want a challenge. I want some adventure. I want more money. I'm not, I'm not trying to be rich, okay? I just, there's some places I'd like to see. There's some things I'd like to do for my family. What do you want? And is that desire good? Is it bad? Should you pursue it? Is Paul going, hey, don't do whatever you want? Are you not supposed to do it? What are, you, what are we supposed to do with our desires and our wants? These are some of the questions we're going to explore today. And I think what Paul is going to share with us is going to be incredibly helpful clarifying, and of course, because it's the Apostle Paul, challenging for us to wrestle with. So we're going to spend some time in his letter to the Galatians, chapters 5 and 6 in particular. We're going to look at three ideas that we really need to understand if we're going to understand what to do with our desires. And so let's jump in uh, to Paul's letter. We're going to start, I believe it's verse 13. He says to them, you, my brothers and sisters, we're called to be free. Look, in Christ, you have freedom. He's saying to them, look, you don't, have to, you don't have to worry about trying to win God's approval by following all these rules anymore because Christ, through the cross, he has set you free. But then he says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't, don't abuse your freedom. Don't indulge the, what, what does he say? the flesh. So here we go. First big idea that Paul wants us to understand is just these two words right here, the flesh. In your freedom, don't indulge your flesh. What's he talking about here? Is he talking about your body? He's talking about physical things. Like, don't, don't indulge your body. You know, because there is a very popular belief, especially among Eastern faiths, that like the, the body is bad, the spiritual is good, the, the physical world is, is bad, the spiritual world is good. And so the idea is to sort of leave behind the physical and, and really lean into the spiritual. Is, is that what Paul's saying here? Don't, don't indulge your body? I don't think so. 
I don't think that's it. Because throughout the scriptures, it's repeated over and over again that actually our bodies and the physical world are good. I mean, think about it. The very beginning of the biblical story, the creation account, God is speaking into being the physical world. And at every step along the way, what does he say? He says, it is good. It is very good. Your body is good. The physical world is good. That's the beginning of the the biblical story. The middle-ish of the biblical story, Jesus, God's son, enters the world, and we read he takes on flesh. He takes on a human body. And then the very end of the biblical story, the book of Revelation, when Christ returns, and it's like heaven comes crashing into earth, and we read about how God is going to recreate this physical world and make it perfect and right once again. In other words, if you're a Jesus follower, the forever that you're going to experience with God will include a physical world and a physical body. And so the physical and the spiritual are both good. So Paul's not saying, don't indulge your body, don't don't indulge physical things. So what then is the flesh? I believe that the flesh refers to that part of you that wants what God doesn't want. There is this aspect to who you are that doesn't want what God wants, that that is resistant to the movement of God in your life. And every single one of us have this aspect to us that Paul calls the flesh. It's resistant to God. And the reason that we have it is because we live in a fallen world, a world that is tainted by the impact of sin and rebellion, and everything and everyone is impacted by that sin. And so you and I are dealing with something that Paul calls the flesh, and it's resistant to God. In fact, uh, in his letter to Christians living in Rome, what we call the book of Romans, he puts it this way. Paul says, uh, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It is against the things of God in your life. So Paul says, hey, you are free. (laughs) Don't, Don't abuse that freedom by indulging the flesh. And so the desires that you have, are they good? Are they bad? What do we do with them? Paul's going, look, just understand, you have a lot of wonderful desires, a lot of really good desires, but some of those desires don't come from a good place because they come from your flesh. Not all desires come from a good place. So, so you're hanging out with some friends, maybe watching the game. There's a lot of laughter, a lot of joking around, and you know, your friends, you make fun of each other quite a bit. And then one of your friends says something about you that a little too close to home kind of feels like it knocks you down in front of all the other guys. Now, when this happens to me, what goes through my mind is something like this. You know, I'm pretty quick with my words. I can be pretty funny. And what I want to do right now is verbally destroy you in front of the guys in a way that has everybody else laughing and makes you feel really dumb. Because you knocked me down, now I want to knock you down. It's like, where does that desire come from? 
not every desire comes from a good place. So last year at school, it, it was a tough year. Not a lot of friends, a lot of people making fun of you. And uh, you just decided, okay, this year is going to be different. I I'm not going to do that again. I will find a way to fit in. I will find a way to, to belong no matter what. I'm not doing last year again. And so if that means i got to change my style, I'll do it. And, and if in order to fit in and belong with a group of people, if I have to change the way I talk, I'll do it. And if that means I gotta do some things, participate in some things that in the past I would not have done, that I would have been uncomfortable doing, that, that I would have said is bad, I'll do it. Because I'm not doing last year again, I will fit in, I will find a way to belong no matter what. Where does that desire come from? Not every desire comes from a good place. Uh, your friend picks you up, He's got new wheels. So you sit down in his new car and it's like, hey, this is comfortable. The seats are great. You look at the dash, it's like this, this technology that's going on that's really cool. And then, okay, this thing really moves. I mean, this car is fast. This is a sweet ride. And so you're hanging out with your friend, driving in their car, they drop you off, and now you're driving home in your car. Your car is perfectly good car. It's been good to you. I mean, it's brought not brand new, but it's not falling apart. But now you're looking at your car through a different lens. And you're seeing all the things that are not right about it. You're hearing all the things that are not perfect about it. And there's just these thoughts that go through your head. I need a new car. How come they get a new car? I, I think I make more money than they do. I work hard. I deserve a new car. This car is old. I, I, I need a new car. Where does that desire come from? Not every desire comes from a good place. And so something Paul wants us to understand right out of the gate is when it comes to our desires, some of them are really good. Some of them are wonderful. And some of them don't come from the best place because they come from the flesh. Now, let me just add a complexity to this conversation. And it has to do just with the nature of our desires. And we talk about the desire to belong, the desire to fit in, the desire to be seen, the desire for affirmation, the desire for love, the desire for security. I mean, these are not bad desires, are they? They're good. And as we've talked throughout this series, you know, these emotions that we experience, it's not necessarily that they're good or bad, they're just there. And so just because you have a desire, that's not necessarily bad. But what the flesh does, this, this part of us that is resistant to God, what the, what the flesh tries to do is to get us to fulfill those desires in anything and everything that's not God. The flesh will try to get you to fulfill perhaps even that good desire in the wrong place. And that's the real danger here. And so Paul gives the Galatians a, a list of what it looks like 
when you listen to the voice of the flesh and you take that desire and you fulfill it in a way that that part of you that wants nothing to do with God, he gives us a list of what that looks like. And it starts like this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Like there's no mystery here. What do they look like? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. And he goes on. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It's this long list of a lot of stuff that you don't want to be a part of, shouldn't be a part of. And he's creating this list basically to say this is what happens when you listen to the flesh and you have these desires and the flesh will tell you, take it over here. You'll find fulfillment for that over here. And we go anywhere and everywhere other than to God with these desires and it creates a mess in our lives. And I think the truth is most of us in moments of clarity, when we're at our best, we recognize this. Because it's like, you know, a thought pops into your head, a, a desire, an attraction just, you know, strikes you. And there are days when you're thinking clearly when you just go, where did that come from? That's messed up. Let's not do anything with that. <laughs> and there are days when you experience the same desire and you know it's wrong and you just go, I'm going to do it anyway. Do you ever feel like there's something going on inside of you that feels like a battle between what's right and what's wrong, that feels like a war? You ever feel like that? You should, because there is. See, the second idea that we have to understand that Paul shares with us is just this right here. It's, it's this idea of the war. There is a war going on inside of you. Paul writes these words, he says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Look, you've got this aspect to you that's called the flesh that's resistant to God, and then there's the spirit. What's up with this? Listen, if you're a Jesus follower, if you've placed your trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've given him leadership of your life, if you're following after him, you have been given a gift. And that gift is the Holy Spirit, God's very presence within you to guide you, to encourage you, to empower you, to challenge you. And the spirit and the flesh are at odds with each other. In fact, Paul says this, he says, they are in conflict, there's a war. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. And of course, those are the words that we started with. There's a conflict going on. So just understand, if you are a believer, that doesn't mean that you no longer experience the desires of the flesh. Unfortunately, while you're on this planet, there will be desires that come into your head that you just go, what in the world is that? And it's not that you don't experience those desires, it's that you are at war with these desires. And we've already seen what the flesh wants to do in us, the acts of the flesh. Take your desires here. Try to find fulfillment here. But the question is, what is it that the spirit wants? 
I mean, if there's a conflict, if there's a war, what, what is it that the spirit wants? I mean, does the spirit just want you to stop being bad? Hey, don't do those bad things. It's bad. Don't do that. What is it that the spirit wants? I believe the spirit wants to produce something in us. The spirit wants to grow something in us. This is how Paul puts it. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What, what are these words? What is, what is this? What are we looking at here? I think this is God's character. This is what God is like. And what the Spirit wants in your life is to produce that character in you. He wants to replace some of these unhealthy desires with good desires. And as you think about this list, love, peace, patience, kindness, don't you just go, that's what I want. I mean, isn't there a part of you that just goes, that's, that's who I want to be. I want to replace my selfishness with love. I want to replace my harshness with gentleness, my recklessness with self-control. Isn't that who you want to be? Isn't that the life that you really want? And isn't it interesting that so many voices in our culture would say to us, listen, if you want to experience life, if you want a fulfilling life, if you want to be happy, then you've got to chase after your desires. That's what's going to make you happy. And Paul's going, no, no. It's in denying the desires of the flesh that you will find life. It's in surrendering these desires to the authority of God. That's where you're going to find the life that you're after. And it's inviting the Holy Spirit of God to grow the character of God in you. That is where you're going to find life. And so there's a conflict going on inside of us. The flesh wants to do something. The spirit desires to produce something in you. And I think this is leading us to this point where Paul would go, look, you've got to understand that the decisions that you make about the desires and the wants and the attractions that you have and that you experience, these decisions matter because they will have implications in your life. They are leading you somewhere. They will, there will be results in your life. Paul puts it like this. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It's like, don't be fooled. Understand that God has created this world in such a way that our choices, our behaviors have consequences, good and bad. The choices that you make regarding your desires, they, there will be consequences there. He goes on and he says this, for whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. It's this imagery of sowing seeds. It's farming. It's agricultural. 
And he's saying, look, if you, if you sow seeds to please that aspect of you that is resistant to God, what you're going to see in your life is destruction, broken things, broken relationships. But if you sow to please the Spirit and what the Spirit desires to do in you, you will reap, what does he say? Eternal life. Now, that can mean life forever. It can also mean that quality of life right here and now. That's the life that you want, full of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And I think what Paul is getting at here is, look, sowing seeds. This is leading to something in your life because seeds grow. Seeds grow and they turn into something in your life. And the truth is that sowing seeds of angry and hurtful words, year after year, it's going to grow something. It's going to grow a field of broken relationships, a field of alienation. And isn't it true that we all know an older person who through years and years of angry words has drove everybody away, and now they're all alone. Seeds grow. There was an affair, and it was devastating. But over time, counseling, hard work, trust is rebuilt. And it's true that by the grace of God, many marriages have found healing through forgiveness and grace of Christ, have survived an affair. But the second affair, the third affair, sowing seeds of unfaithfulness, it's going to grow something. It will grow a field of mistrust and resentment. Just understand, seeds grow. Sowing seeds of patience, She's got a little four-year-old daughter, and it's just prayer, Lord, give me patience, fill me with your patience, because that little four-year-old is throwing a temper tantrum. Now, fast forward a couple more years, this little four-year-old's now eight, and her mom picks her up from school, and she's driving her home, and it's the same prayer. Lord, give me patience, except for her eyes are open because she's driving. Lord, give me patience because that little eight-year-old is describing and taking forever every single tiny, minute detail of her day at school. But all these seeds of patience, year after year, they produce something, a field of trust so that that little girl, now 17, knocking on her mom's bedroom door, head peeks through the door. Can I talk to you about something? All I'm saying is seeds grow. And the decisions that we make with the desires that we have, there will be implications in our lives. There will be consequences, both good and bad. And right about now, some of you are going, look, I don't need to be convinced. Okay, I get it. I understand how this works. And the problem for me is that I need help. I, I am stuck. 
And if there is a war going on inside of me between the flesh and the spirit, look, I'm losing. And so how, how do we experience victory in this battle? And that is the third idea that we need to unpack as we talk about what to do with our, our desires, and, and it's the victory. How do we experience victory over these desires of the flesh? And the first thing Paul says about this is victory has actually already been achieved. Because look what, look what he writes here. He says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, if you like grammar, if you're like an English nerd, there's something that you're probably seeing right here. The word crucified, it's past tense. It's already happened. Those who belong to Christ, that flesh is already dead. In other words, the decisive battle has already been fought and won at the cross because Jesus defeated sin through the cross and his resurrection. Meaning that there is a day coming in the future when Christ returns that sin will be eradicated and the flesh will no longer trouble you. This also means that sin and the flesh do not have power over you any longer. But how do you tap into that victory? How do you experience that victory in reality? Check this out, what Paul says. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice he does not say simply, don't gratify the desires. Like, stop it, don't do it. That's not what he says. What he says is if you walk by the Spirit, you won't. That's totally different. See, uh, victory over the flesh, it's not going to come by your effort. It's not going to come by try harder, do better, knock it off. It's not going to happen through your own effort. Victory over the flesh happens through the transformational power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. It's all about our connection with the Holy Spirit, which is why Paul says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He says, walk by the Spirit, live in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. It is all about our connection to the Holy Spirit. So let me give you an image that might help with this. It's an image of a train. Now, trains are awesome, and maybe I'm thinking of trains because of Art Prize, but the thing about a train like this is that the cars of the train, by themselves, they can't do anything. I mean, a train car sitting on a track, no power, right? It's just nothing, it's just sitting there. It's only by being connected to the locomotive, to the engine of the train, that that car can move down the track. And I think this image captures what it means to be connected to the Spirit, because you and I are the car. On our own, we do not have power to defeat the flesh, but when we're connected to the Holy Spirit, the engine, that power can pull us along in our journey with Christ. It's all about being connected to the Spirit. And so how do you do that? 
How do you live connected to the Holy Spirit? This is so important if we're gonna experience victory. I got two practical steps for you, two ways that at least in my life have been helpful. And the first one is the scriptures. Because here's the deal, God has chosen to move through his written word. And the Holy Spirit never contradicts what the scriptures say. And the most common way, not the only way, but the most common way that the Holy Spirit moves is through the written word. And so if you want to live connected to the Holy Spirit, if you want to be connected to that power, this book must be central in your life. I'm talking every day, getting into the scriptures, reading, reflecting on, and then of course, responding to the how the Spirit moves through these words. This is so important, it's absolutely central if we're gonna experience connection with the Spirit. And so you need a daily practice. And if you don't have a daily practice, here's a, here's a first step for you. We have a resource, it's called uh, Beyond the Weekend. It's a daily devotional, our staff writes it, it's connected with the weekend sermon, emailed straight to your inbox every day. It's a great first step if you wanna get into this practice of being in the word. So that's the first practical step. Second is Christian community relationship with other believers. Because here's the deal. You, as a follower of Jesus, have the Holy Spirit within you. And I also have the Holy Spirit within me. And our relationship together can be powerful. Because there are times when the Holy Spirit in you will move, will speak to encourage, to guide, to provide wisdom, sometimes to correct me. And so the relationship, an intentional relationship with other believers can be a powerful space for the Holy Spirit of God to move. Now, this is particularly important if you are stuck. I mean, if you're just in a pattern of behavior where you're just going back to the desires of the flesh and carrying them out over and over, if you are stuck I mean, in my experience, there is no way to get unstuck outside of something that I am calling Holy Spirit-infused accountability, where you come to a trusted fellow believer and just go, this is what's going on. This is what I'm dealing with. I need your help. And to create a relationship of accountability where it's like, hey, did you look at anything this week? Hey, how did you do with drinking this week? Or whatever it is, Holy Spirit-infused accountability, relationship of accountability between believers. Sometimes it's a small group, sometimes it's an individual. But in my experience, that's really the only way to get unstuck. And so victory over our flesh, how do you do that? It's not try harder, it's not do better, it's not your own effort, it is all about connection to the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. So let's wrap up where we started. Bedtime at the Buer house. And that sweet little girl of mine wanted chocolate and she wanted it really bad. Now I'll ask you, what kind of dad would say no to his precious little daughter who wants chocolate. What kind of dad would say, I need you to say no to that desire? The kind of dad who loves his kids, 
and wants what's best for them, even to the point of saying, I need you to say no to that. And the truth is, I am a very flawed and very imperfect father. But you have a father in heaven who is absolutely perfect. And every word and every action that he takes in your life is absolutely in your best interest. And this is so important because some of us right now are struggling with, wrestling with something that we want, that we desire, that we're attracted to, and you just hear the voice of God going, I need you to say no to that right now. And what kind of God would ask you to say no to something that you want? The kind of God who's a father a good father who loves you and knows what is best for you. Friends, this is an opportunity for us to trust in our good and gracious God. I'd love to pray for you as we close. Heavenly Father, we bring to you our desires. Some of them are good. Some of them are from your Holy Spirit. And God, because of the flesh, some of them are bad. Some of them are destructive. And God, we just acknowledge that there are things that we want and want badly that, that just go against what you want for us. And God, we need your help. None of us is strong to say no to these desires. God, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. God, would you meet us in this space? Would you surround us with other followers who would encourage and challenge us? God, help us to say yes to you and no to the flesh. God, we're so grateful for who you are. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. It was an absolute privilege to open the scriptures with you. Next week, Daniel, Honor and Exile. We'll see you then.